We might be headed for convention craziness in Cleveland. Quinn Hillier is going to talk about what that really means on this crummy little podcast. Every four years, party conventions usually mean a few days of rah-rah speeches and the official coronation of a party's nominee for president, usually. At least on the Republican side, that's going to be different this year, and here to explain it all to me is Quinn Hillier, a contributing editor at National Review, a senior editor at American Spectator, and a prolific writer and television commentator who knows how all this stuff works. He's also part of a group organizing to defeat Donald Trump before he gets the nomination. Quinn, thanks for joining this crummy little podcast. Glad to be on with with you, Jim. You know, Quinn, I can't listen to political news without seeing something about a brokered or contested Republican convention, but political reporters love to talk about that stuff. If we're being realistic, how likely is that scenario? It's very likely, but I want to make sure we use the word open or contested convention or just convention, not brokered convention. A brokered convention is like one of those old line 1880 conventions where power brokers uh, got in the the proverbial uh, smoke-filled back room and, you know, and and moved delegates around without the delegates even knowing. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an open process with all the media there where individual delegates who were basically, you know, uh, volunteers who were active uh, because they care about the country, ordinary Americans, housewives, small business owners, and the like, where they are making up their own minds as representatives of the people who elected them. That's what we're talking. It's a normal, ordinary, open, above-board process, and uh, and it is what a convention used to be and might be again this year. Probably going to be a bit of a civics lesson for a lot of Americans, myself included, I would say, because we're used to seeing these conventions, which are, as I, as I alluded to at the top, they just four nations. Yeah, exactly four-day infomercials or three-day infomercials about this. This is the political party. Here's the nominee. Here are a bunch of speeches, and, and here it is. But it, it, we're going to see a lot of the nuts and bolts of it this time. But what does that process actually look like? I mean, how does at least on the Republican side. How do the Republicans actually choose a nominee when, when this happens? Well, think about it just like Congress, where the voters choose representatives and the representatives go and and vote on the laws because, of course, we're all busy about our ordinary lives, you know, making widgets and selling widgets and, and, and uh, you know, serving as doctors or serving as as workers and Doing whatever we do, taking our kids to the uh, to the dentist and, and to their soccer games, and so we elect people to represent us, and that's what delegates are as well. The people have gone and voted for uh, their presidential candidate, and in order to cast their votes at the convention, uh, the public has elected their delegates to represent them. When the delegates are pledged to if, if you voted for Rubio, your delegate is pledged to Rubio on the first ballot. If you voted for Trump, your delegate's pledged to Trump. But this is a democracy, a representative democracy. Majority rules. It takes a majority to win the nomination, just like it takes a majority to pass any law in the House of Representatives. If nobody has a majority, then 
people start thinking, well, who's our second choice? If you're a Rubio delegate, you are representing the views of the people that voted for Rubio, and they have entrusted you with judgment. And so if Rubio, who is not going to get it, since Rubio won't get it on the first ballot, uh, you are then a free agent to say, well, who's your second choice? And your second choice might be Trump, or it might be Cruz, or it might be Kasich. And you vote accordingly. And that's how it works. Just like in most, or at least half the states of the union, you have a primary, and if nobody gets 50%, you have a runoff. Well, that's what a second ballot at a convention is. It's no more than a runoff because nobody got 50% the first time. It's very simple, straightforward. It takes a majority to win. We hear a lot of talk about there being a you know, a dark horse candidate or a white knight who comes in on the second ballot and takes the nomination. A lot of establishment Republicans don't like Donald Trump. They don't necessarily like Ted Cruz. So they're hoping that someone like a Mitt Romney or a Paul Ryan might ride in and, and take the nomination. But there are some arcane rules about who can actually be put into the nominating process. How much of what we hear is just media conjecture about, oh, it could be this guy or it could be that guy versus what the actual reality is? Uh, the actual reality is after the first ballot, the delegates are, are pretty much free agents. Some of them become free agents on the second ballot. Most of them become free agents on the second ballot. Uh, almost all of them becomes free, become free agents if there's a third ballot. Uh, and so technically, you could have anybody get elected. You could have Jim Elchington get elected or get the nomination uh, if the delegate so chose. But that's not very likely. The most likely scenario is that one of the other candidates who already have a lot of delegates would then add the number of delegates remaining on the second ballot that they need to get a majority. So it would most likely be Cruz. It would then most likely be Kasich or Rubio. It would you know, almost certainly be somebody who has run already. But is it possible? Yes, it's theoretically possible for Paul Ryan to get the nomination. It's also theoretically possible for me to be the Speaker of the House because the Speaker of the House does not technically have to even be a member of the House. But that's not going to happen. It's a lot of speculation based on, well, what's theoretically possible when what is practically possible is, is you know, Trump, Cruz, Kasich, Rubio. That's the most practical likelihood. Speaking of Marco Rubio, he has about 160 delegates in the bank. Last week, dropped out of the race, but like so many before him, suspended his campaign. That's the, the term they all use. Does that have an important distinction when it comes to convention time? If you just suspend your campaign, then technically, if you get to the convention uh, and you have not you know, signed papers that say that your campaign is over, if you haven't taken actual steps to uh, – to end your campaign as a legal matter, then you can conceivably go to the convention and say, you know what, the, I've got 162 delegates if I'm Rubio, and I 
do not want to release the delegates that are pledged to me on the first ballot. And so by law, in most states, those delegates are still required to vote for Rubio on the first ballot if he has not released them. That's the difference between a suspended campaign and an ended campaign, uh, is that if you're suspended, you can unsuspend it and still ask for your delegates to be cast for you. And uh, and that could make a very big difference in whether or not there's even a second ballot. Now, there's also a rule, Quinn, I know you're not a fan of it, <laughs> called Rule 40. In order for a candidate to have their delegates seated, they have to demonstrate majority support in at least eight delegations. Am, am I right on that? Yes, you are right about that. And that the the rules from one convention to the next are assumed to be the same, but some rules are are technically only four year rules, whereas other rules are more permanent. The rule that's been there for 160 years that you need a majority that's permanent, but the rule of like internal rules like this one about women name can even be put in nomination, that can be changed at each convention. And what happens is uh, there is a rules committee meeting before the convention. There, each delegation, each state elects somebody to go serve on the rules committee. And they go and create, they meet before the convention and create the operating rules for that convention. So they they use last convention's rules as a template, but they don't have to adopt them. So this rule you're talking about, about eight state delegations needing to give a majority to a candidate before his name can officially be placed in nomination, that exists for now but it can be changed or gotten rid of by this rules committee that meets the week before the convention. And frankly, it should be because it's the stupidest rule I have ever heard. <laughs> what it means is that all the votes, all the voters that cast votes for Rubio or that cast votes for Kasich or that cast votes for Ben Carson – would be disenfranchised, would have their votes nullified if their elected delegates are not allowed even to vote for them on the convention floor. It's a crazy, crazy rule, and it should not be be maintained. I mean, couldn't that also affect that number, the magic number of 1237 that Trump or Cruz need to hit or Kasich once it gets to the convention, uh, that they would need to actually achieve the nomination? I mean, if, if you're not seating Rubio's... No, no, well, you know, let me interrupt. You are seating the delegates. You're just okay. saying that you will not... That if those delegates cast a vote for Rubio or Carson or Fiorina, that those votes won't be counted. And uh, But there's still delegates who can vote on everything else. They can vote on resolutions. They can vote on on the party platform, et cetera, et cetera. They are, they are official delegates. It's just that their votes for those candidates might not be counted. 
But what you're asking is, does that effectively lower what's needed for a majority? And I had misunderstood this. I was wrong. The answer to that is no. You need a majority of all the delegates there, not just the delegates voting, in order to get the nomination. So what what it would, in effect, count as is if you voted for Rubio and Rubio you know, hasn't qualified under this rule, in effect, you would be counted as an abstention. And an abstention, of course, uh, does not uh, count as a yes vote towards a majority. So you would, uh, Trump would still need 1,237 votes, regardless of how he gets them, uh, before he could be the nominee. It really seems that the team with the advantage, the campaign with the advantage, is going to be the campaign that has the folks who have been through this type of fight before and the people that know how these things work will have a, a vast advantage. Well, they'll have an advantage. It's not a vast advantage because it's, it's actually a lot simpler in practice than it sounds when I'm explaining it. Basically, it's just this. You need a majority to get the nomination. That's as simple as can be. And and so no matter what other rules apply as to who you can vote for when, none of that matters if you can't get a majority of those delegates actually elected. So everything comes out in the wash in in the end because even if the votes are counted as an abstention or if they're counted for Rubio or if they're counted for Fiorina or whatever, it still means that that however they're voted, they're counted, if they're counted in a way that nobody gets to 1237, then you have another ballot. And and it starts over. So you can divide the vote 25 different ways, but if nobody gets the 1237, they don't get the nomination. So the only rule that really matters is the most simple one in a representative democracy, and that is majority rules. Does that make it easier? Well, it does, but it also tells me that whoever those delegates are, the actual people, are, are going to matter a lot, that the delegate selection process, which we've started to see a few articles here and there about, is going to be absolutely critical. Absolutely. And that's what's good about this is that in you know, 90, 95% of the cases, most of these delegates are not elected officials in, in the ordinary sense. They're not people whose livelihoods depend on being politicians. As I say, these are housewives, small business owners, factory workers, you name it, who have put who have contacted the candidate, proved to the candidate that they are really committed to the candidate, and have gotten the candidate's campaign to say, yes, you're the guy we want to, to, to represent us at the convention if we get enough votes to put you there. And so these are or that, that's what's so great about this is the people 
that are delegates who are representatives of the voters are ordinary, average Americans. And they will be faced with choices in ways that that don't affect their political careers because they don't have a political career. They're not thinking of anything other than what they think is the best person for the party nominee, and then they'll go back to their ordinary lives. So it's a wonderful process that actually represents the best of what America can be. The other side of the coin, as we as we talk about an open convention, if there's a hotly contested convention, is there an opportunity for a third party? I'm sorry, I shouldn't say third party. I should say an independent candidacy uh, outside of outside of the party structure, or are we just too late in the game for that? If it if a third party or independent effort does not start until after the Republican convention, it's almost certainly too late. Most states have deadlines for a, a third candidate or fourth candidate to get on the ballot that are way too early for somebody to get started that late. To get on the ballot as an independent or a third party, you need to get a whole lot of signatures, petition signatures to get on the ballot. And it takes a lot of time to get on on uh, on the ballot to get these petitions signed. And most of the states have a deadline of about August 8th, some of them even earlier. And the convention, I believe, is July 18th. So you would come out of the convention, say, July 22nd, and you'd only have 16, 17 days to get hundreds of thousands of petitions signed if you wanted to get on the ballot in every state. That's almost a physical impossibility. So if you want a third party or independent effort, you really, practically speaking, need to start by about mid-April. And even then, you might, you will probably miss the Texas ballot because they've got a May 8th deadline, although that will be challenged in court. But uh, you can't be a sore loser and turn around and get on a ballot in, in two more weeks. It's just almost a physical impossibility. Quinn, I have one last question before I let you go. As I alluded to earlier, we're about to get, if this does go to the convention, we're all about to get a civics lesson, and it'll probably be a very contested and controversial few days in Cleveland. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for the Republican Party going forward? It depends on how it plays out. If the losers end up being able to muddy the waters and confuse people and make it seem like some kind of unfair inside job, it might be a bad thing. But if people keep their eye on the ball and just remember one simple rule, which is that the majority rules, if they think about that and they watch these ordinary Americans puzzle it out for themselves, then it could come away as a great benefit to the party and the nation because they will see how a representative democracy actually works and that these are real human beings that aren't politicians that are really pondering what to do best for their country. And everybody understands the concept of majority rules. And if they see it play out in practice with ordinary human 
ordinary Americans, and they can say, you know what? I like this. This is really cool. Let's go forward and let's win. So that's what I'm hoping will happen. Uh, that's Quinn Hillier. He's a prolific writer and guide for the labyrinth that is our American political process. You can find Quinn online at quinnhillier.com. It's the best place to find his stuff since he writes for so many places. Quinn, thank you so much for joining this crummy little podcast. Glad to be on with you. Thanks for listening to this crummy little podcast. If you want to hear more, check out www.crummylittlepodcast.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes and don't forget to leave a review. Thanks again.